plan is next Sunday night to begin a series through first and then probably second Corinthians. But tonight, I thought we'd take some time here. There, there's, our Lord Jesus doesn't give us commands without explanation or reason. Uh, and most of the time, the reason is not what we might think it would be. Many times the Lord's reasoning for why we should do something or obey something He's commanded is not simply due to the categories of immoral versus moral, right? But what is sensical versus nonsensical. Many times in Scripture, the reasoning for how we're told to live and conduct ourselves is because of what we already have. Because of what is already true about us. Because of what Jesus has already done for us. This is good news. Because sometimes what our Lord commands of us seems to make no sense at all. And it often goes against every natural inclination or instinct we have. But I want to zero in tonight on a word for us in Hebrews from our Lord Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13. It is that eternally dependable fact about our unchanging Lord that stirs our spirits for faithful obedience, even in light of suffering and difficulty. We must be willing to bear the reproach of the world because we don't need anything from it. We don't need its approval. We don't need its support. But have everything we need in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the sufficiency of Jesus for us. God, in this passage tonight, would you move by your Spirit to help us understand, help me speak clearly, help me explain it well, why it is that we would ever be willing to walk into life bearing reproach, living with such difficulty. Lord, would you be with us and help us? I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Beginning in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For, because here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The main focus tonight is on the exhortation there in verses 13 and 14, but I did want to set it in its larger context first, at least to some degree. The author of Hebrews, or as I like to call him, Paul, <laughs> I don't know that, that's just my opinion, is giving his final exhortations to these Christians in light of the superiority of Jesus and the covenant he ratifies over against the ministry of the Old Testament, Old Covenant priestly system and the covenant that was attached to it through the law. And so he's 
talking mainly now about the lives we live as these continual sacrifices of praise offered up to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't offer sacrifices to atone for our sin because Christ has made the one-time sacrifice that sufficiently atones for all sin. Because of that, that's not what we do in service to the Lord. Our sacrifices are not about that. What we do as Christians is not to gain forgiveness or acceptance before God, but is, if you will, an offering to Him of joy and thanksgiving. That's what the life of a believer is. Because Christ has provided all, we give all to Him. Not in the sense of paying back alone. Right? Not in the sense of paying back alone. That's not what Christian living, that's not what good works are. In a sense... Good works is spending the endless money God has given us for our lives through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the author encourages these believers with who Christ has been for them in the past, is for them right now, and will also be for them in the future in verse 8. So in verse 9, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Do not look for ever-changing, ever-developing, ever-nuanced forms of doctrinal truth. Christ and the truth that is in Christ is the believer's solid rock for all things. For all things. What, what's good for our hearts in this world is that they would be ever-strengthened by grace in verse 9. That is, by the fact that Christ has accomplished all they needed in the past, is all we need now, and will be all we need in the future. Always Christ, He is always enough. So don't get carried away, right? Don't crave something new all the time. Don't crave innovative all the time. We we need to hear the same thing over and over and over again. Don't look to be led so subjectively throughout life, right? But live in light of the fact that Jesus never changes. And in who He is and in the effectiveness of what he has done for you. And look where the author goes now with all this. Is he writing to them? Is he just speaking generally, trying to clean up some things or just add in some things at the end that he thinks might be helpful? Or is he talking like this because of something they're currently dealing with or is currently among them? I think it's the latter. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them in verse 9. Two things to catch here. I think, at least. We are not strengthened. Beloved Christians, we are not strengthened. That is, we are not helped in any way in our faith by creating rules and regulations God has not given. Our own subjective sense of what God requires that would cause us to add to His Word already given to us perfectly in Christ is of no benefit to our faith. None. When we add to God's Word, particularly we do this, there are, you know, uh, denominations now, you know, big denominations that are uh, subverting the truth of God's Word and adding to it and taking away from it. And, of course, this is horrible. We don't agree with this at all. But normally when we add to God's Word, it's in standards of righteousness. It's in creating rules and guidelines so that you don't break the rules that we do know have been given. But when we do that, we're not improving our chances at living well. 
we are not improving our chances at living well by adding to the word already given that never changes in Christ. We are hurting ourselves when we do that. It feels wise. It feels responsible. It feels necessary. But if we don't do this, how will we prohibit that? How will we stop that? That's questioning the sufficiency of the word that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter how pious that is. It doesn't matter if the intentions are good. It doesn't matter. When we add to the word, we're saying the word is not sufficient. And beloved, we not only have no authority, we have no need to forbid what God does not or demand what God has not. We don't have the authority to do that. We don't have the need to do that. That's a matter of whether or not we trust the word is sufficient. When we do that, when we add, it's, it's not that we're, you know, we're not taking our Christianity more seriously. That's not what's going on. We are saying that God's word hasn't given us all that we need. It is self-confidence to do that. It's not piety. Consider God's word in um, Colossians 2, 16 to 23. You can follow along with me. I'm going to read it to you here as quickly as I can, I guess. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Just listen to the words of this epistle here. This is God's word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Living that way, by rules and regulations, was a shadow of how God actually designed it to be to live as one of His people. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, self-denial, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, right? The Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord showed me, the Lord told me. You sure? Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. See, that's feeding the flesh, actually. It's not, you know, religious devotion to create more rules. It's feeding the flesh, because the flesh has within it this desire to please God by rules. And to make sure everybody else pleases God by rules. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, right? Becoming righteous by behavior, keeping rules to be righteous. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. If you died to the world with Christ, why do you follow worldly ways to be righteous? Right? Creating laws to be righteous is a worldly principle, not a divine one. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There are few texts in Scripture we flat out ignore and deny than that one. More than that one. Right? Creating rules that God didn't create is of no value. None. In stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Because what is the indulgence of the flesh, really? 
It's believing we can become righteous through our behavior. And so we create more rules to supplement what's in the Bible because we don't think the Bible is enough to make us righteous. We don't believe the gospel does what it says it does. Makes us righteous by grace through faith. That's not wisdom. That, that doesn't mean, I, I take my faith really seriously. I don't even, you know, uh, if, if the Bible says not to go here, I don't drive near there. Well, the Bible doesn't say don't drive near there. So what are you doing, right? You're not trusting God. You're denying that God's Word is sufficient when you do that. Now, so the first thing to catch there, that it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, right? The other thing to catch in Hebrews 13.9 is this. If creating rules and making regulations to keep myself from indulging my flesh and becoming unrighteousness, if that won't stop me from doing that, if it won't help me in that desire to please God, what actually does then strengthen the believer's heart? What actually does help the believer in the life of faith? Beloved, more grace. Right? It's so counterintuitive, and yet that's precisely what Scripture says. More of Christ for you. Why? Why do I need? Because Christ doesn't change. He doesn't change. He doesn't have to be adapted into all these different situations. He's just sufficient. You have everything you need in Him. Back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, God said that in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And what God has said through Jesus the Son, which is also what God has done through Jesus the Son, because He is the Word incarnate, is sufficient for us. What Christ did for me makes me as righteous as God wants me to be. So don't crave more. Don't crave new. Don't crave different. Don't even crave what seems better. Or as in Colossians, he would say it appears to be wise. We, I do this, especially, I, I think, uh, as unique to being a pastor. In my younger years, I lived off of conferences and books that were coming out by my favorite authors. You know, um, that's one way to go astray on, on all these things. You know, I was, I was constantly looking for, you know, what, what will work in the church? What will finally make the church do what it needs to do? Pastors are always thinking about what the church needs to do, never about what we need to do to improve, right? So we're, we're, uh, there's that, you know, you're constantly, maybe this, this author, this pastor, see, he's really got it. And so when he comes out with a book, you just hang on his every word. Um, yeah, I, I, I did that big time, big time. However, we are called in Scripture not, it, it's not like the code is going to be cracked by your favorite author in the 21st century. That Christendom has been missing out on what it needed until that guy wrote a book. Until that lady wrote a book. Right? What is it that we crave that these new things or ideas are so quickly able to scratch the itches that we have? What, what is Christ failing to be for us? Right? What is he failing to do for us? That we're constantly craving this innovation, this new or unique take on things. And those things can be very encouraging and helpful in enlarging our picture of the Christ that is. But they can also be dangerous if the purpose of them is not to drive us to Christ, but to 
get us to buy books and follow people. And I know that sounds cold, but that does happen, right? It does happen. Don't crave even what appears wise. What Stay fixed on Christ for you and what He has said. He's, he's got it. He, he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, that means Christ is sufficient for the future. The future is always changing. Christ is never changing. What Christ is now is exactly what you need Him to be later. What Christ is for you now is exactly what you needed Him to be in the past. He's sufficient. Right? Sufficient. Now remember, all this is pushing towards this command to bear the reproach of the world. Right? That's, that's where this is headed. Stay fixed on Christ for you and what has already been said. It's enough. Legalism, and by that I mean additional rules or the dependence on rules to make us more righteous, doesn't have anything to offer the Christian. It just doesn't. Trusting in something more or other than the word given to us in Jesus who never changes is like eating air to get full. Right? When in verse 10 the believer has an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So the point here is you have the food for your soul that you need in Christ. That's what he's telling us here. Under the old covenant sacrificial system in verse 11, the bodies of the animals that were sacrificed for sin, of course, were tainted by it unless God had consecrated any part of it. So the priests couldn't eat any of it. They had to take it outside the camp, get it away from everything and burn it. But beloved, in Christ we may partake of that which was sacrificed again and again and again and again. We may partake of it again and again and again. It's not sacrificed again and again and again. Just to, I don't want to be confusing. But that, that's why Jesus was taken outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the camp of Israel, and sacrificed away from everything. His whole body, all of it was given for our sin, the sins of the whole world. But... The spotless sacrifice of the Lamb of God gives a body to the world that might be received into our very lives for us. The whole body of Jesus. All that He is for us. In other words, we have Christ of which we might partake. The grace of God incarnate at all times. We don't need anything else to become righteous. We don't need anything else in order for us to be consecrated unto God. Christ has made us perfectly righteous. We have food to eat for forgiveness and righteousness that was not available under the old covenant system, which did require sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But we read earlier in Hebrews 9 and 10 that such sacrifices did nothing to perfect the conscience of the worshiper because they were never enough. They weren't actually doing anything. They were just pointing to what needed to be done. But Christ is enough. Christ was enough. Christ will forever be enough. Christ is all that we need for life in this world. For forgiveness, for righteousness, for faith. Therefore, in verse 13, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's an odd jump. Notice what the author does here. He takes us from the sufficiency of Christ for us in His sacrifice to being made able in light of that sacrifice 
to bear the same reproach in the world that Jesus did. Let us reject any and every man-made system of salvation and self-righteousness the world can offer or come up with, and instead for all of that, go to Christ outside the camp. Let us go where He went. Let us go where He still is. Let us go where He always will be for us, standing alone out there, outside of this world and its systems. Set apart from all man-made systems of salvation and the covenant of righteousness through the law. Right? Jesus stands apart from all those things, outside the camp. And the law now, according to Paul in Galatians 4, is also considered one of the elementary principles of the world when it comes to gaining our righteous standing before God. Believing that you can be made righteous by your behavior or the behavior will make you more righteous is an elementary foundational principle of the world, not of Christ. But here's the thing as it pertains to our lives as sacrifices pleasing to God. To do that, Jesus had to be cast out to die. Because forgiveness and righteousness by grace alone, apart from the law, apart from man-made systems, is hated and despised by the world. Jesus is hated by the world. To be the perfect sacrifice for sin, Jesus had to suffer the reproach of the world, even and especially of Old Covenant Israel, where the law was. They hated Him the most. And to identify ourselves with Jesus. Since in this way, He is also the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scum to the world that's bent on saving itself. To be aligned with Him means that we will also bear reproach. The world will hate God's grace and the world will hate those who live by and proclaim it also. You and I will never fit in here because we believe that you're saved by grace apart from works. Nothing makes you more otherworldly and weird and strange than believing the gospel. That Christ doesn't. We will always be aliens and strangers for that. Right? We're not aliens and strangers to the world because we're so morally superior, upstanding people. Most of the time we're just not. But because we trust in Christ alone and His grace for our righteousness and our salvation. So here's the thing. We have no options. There's no way to trust in Christ for your salvation and bypass the world hating you. But notice in Hebrews 13, this is why they hate you. Right? It's, it's not because you say, hey, that thing that you love is a sin. They'll hate you for that too. But in this passage, who saw that coming? I believe that you're saved by grace apart from your own works. Well, then we have to kill you. We have to silence you. We have to get rid of you. We have to cast you out. You're, you're not a part of this. Well, what's out there? Jesus is out there. For you. And for me. To be identified with Christ means willfully submitting ourselves to the reproach and hatred of the world and all the unique difficulties that come along with them. Now, that doesn't make us want to sign up right away, does it? You know, oh, okay. But here's the thing. 
even in this call to bear reproach, Jesus is being Jesus for you. He is saving you. He is helping you. What could be the rationale then for willfully, joyfully bearing the reproach of this world like Jesus did? Why would you ever take a commandment like that seriously? For. You see, here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Because of Jesus, this world in its present form is passing away. So the rationale here is, beloved, then let it reproach you and I. Let it hate us. Let us be considered refuse by a world that is passing away. We don't want something that's dying and passing away. Jesus is saving us from this. We don't want something that's decaying to be our home. Have you ever tried to convince a little child that if, if you spend all you know your allowance money on this thing that you want, you know this this you could buy a you know when, when Carmine was little, you know, or I, I remember it, that's the most recent little one. So it was always like you you could buy a toy or a model. You know, I was always trying to get him into Legos, you know, something he could build and hang on to and have. It's like, no, I want a candy bar. It'll be gone in five minutes. All right, buddy, it'll be gone in five minutes. It'll taste great. Candy bars are great. But, like, don't you want something to hang on to? No, not really. Candy bars taste good. Candy tastes good. That, that Beloved, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, like come on now. Right, you and I don't need this world to accept us. We don't need it. Right? And apparently that's the only way you can actually love people. Because Jesus simultaneously despised this world and the shame it heaped on Him and loved people literally to the death. They go together. Right? Until we let go, right? And, and until we don't need it, we're going to have to use it. We're going to need to get from it. And when you need to get from something, it's very hard to love it and serve it and give yourself away for it. But we don't, Jesus is saying, look, you don't want something that's always changing. You don't want something that's, that's always allegedly improving but then declining and allegedly improving and then declining again. With no certainty whatsoever to offer for tomorrow. To make us one of its own, right? How, how many times do we have to try communism before we realize, oh, that doesn't work? Right? That's the world. No, it'll work this time. Whatever system. It'll work this time. It'll solve all the ills this time. No, it won't. The world isn't set up. You're not going to find that system. It's not going to work. And Jesus is saying us, or saying to us, give all that up and have me. I'm, I'm better than all that for you. I don't change. I last forever. I go on forever as your forgiveness and your righteousness. I go on forever as the home for your soul. Come outside the camp of this world where I am. Get out of there. Come to me. I'll give you a lasting city. Right? They will never accept you. But I will always accept you. I mean, just, just imagine... You could have the acceptance of the world or you could have the acceptance of Jesus Christ. 
look, I know that I want the acceptance of the world. I feel it. But something in me, the Holy Spirit and His witness to me, also makes me know deep down inside that what I really want is Jesus. Give me Jesus. I'm, I'm not saying that out of piety. I'm saying it because I know it's true. That's what I need. You ever read, when you read through the Gospels, don't you feel it? Don't you feel this pull to Him? This, this, there's something so magnetic about Jesus. I just want to hear your voice. I want to be near you. I want to have you. I want you to be there when I wake up. I want you to be there all the time. There's something about Him. This, this is a spirit. There's resonance there now between earth and heaven. We have no lasting city here. And we can't build one that will last either. We don't need this world to become our home. Why would we want a house that's going to burn down? To join ourselves to Jesus is to seek, instead of this tent, the city that is to come. The lasting city. And only Jesus can build that. Verse 15, through Him then. See, there's... That, that, that's the rationale that this city will be brought to us through him. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God while in this world. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. You see it. Saying that this world is not my home is what galvanizes you to do good. Since you don't need it, you're free to just serve it. Even our enemies. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, beloved, don't wait for the world to change and approve of you and become easy or comfortable for Christians to live in. Not only is that never going to happen, we get deceived. Well, if we elect this thing, if we get this implemented, what God said the world is for believers, a place of reproach, is never going to change. And if it does, you're being lied to. Not only will that never happen, but beloved, you and I don't need it to in order to have a lasting city. That comes to us by promise. Christ is bringing the lasting city to us. It it doesn't rise up out of the ashes of the earth. It comes down to us from heaven. It is certain, it is sure forever that he will bring us into the new heavens and the new earth where the dwelling place of God will finally be with us. Listen. You are never going to need more than Jesus. Not ever. What Scripture tells us is that we will bear reproach in this world. Life will be difficult. But everything we need for the difficulty that comes from bearing reproach because we've been attached forever to Jesus, everything that we need, we have in Jesus. His forgiveness, His righteousness, His love and His mercy and His grace will keep us steady when the winds and waves get out of control. And they're always out of control for you and I. The little bit of control we think we have over our circumstances is such an illusion. But they are never out of His. Nothing is ever out of Jesus' control. Nothing. We must be willing to bear the reproach of the world because we don't need anything from it. But have everything we need in Christ alone. Amen. Would you stand? Please?